It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Jeff Essery. And I'm Joe Rowles. We logged our first win of the season, Joe, on Thursday night, and we're back now. It seems like it's forever ago now that Broncos played. We're recording this on Wednesday. You'll be listening on Thursday, but it's been a full week now since Denver notched their first win of the season. But how'd it feel? I mean, we've looked back at the tape, and we'll dig into all the um, you know, the nuances of the game and things like that. But I thought you made a good point, Joe, right before we jumped on that this might be one of the few wins we get to celebrate this year. And so let's do so. I felt very conflicted over this win. And I think that makes me a bad fan, but I also, I can't help but think that, uh, and, and, and it's just kind of, it comes down to this. And this is something I look up every week. Uh, I think you guys are going to probably get tired of me looking it up every week, but the Broncos, as of right now, according to Football Outsiders Playoff Odds Report, the Broncos have a 7.6% chance at the postseason. So they still have a chance. I know the, the meme. They still have a chance. I'm telling you they have a chance. That said, they wind up with the top pick in the NFL draft 38.3% of the time in the playoff odds simulation. The Seven number point- one pick or t- uh, top five Top pick. five. Okay, top, five top five about 40% of the time. But they land the top pick of the draft, and we just talked about this last week. We started a jar, so I can't say his name. But they land the top pick of the draft 7.4% of the time still. So knowing that, I feel kind of conflicted because if they're still going to land the top pick of the draft, I'd rather not sweat it. That said, as a fan, I want them to win every single game. And I think the win, I think winning games matters for a young roster, and I think trying to win games matters for a young roster. And I think we saw that in – there's so many young players on this roster that played really, really well that I'm really excited about it. So, yeah, it, I'm I'm with you in terms of being conflicted because, and, and here's what, the way I think about it from a young team. In we've talked about the playoff odds. We talked about this last year or last week. So I won't rehash it a lot. But in a season where you know it's you're probably not going to make the playoffs. Drew Locke is hurt. At this point, you're you're trying to evaluate things that you can learn for next season, right? And you're building that muscle potentially to your point of, I mean, I do think they're a young roster who really doesn't know how to close out close games yet and doesn't know how to win. And that sounds cliche, like, oh, they don't know how to win yet. And sometimes it gets way overused. But I do think there's something to the fact of proving to yourself that you can grind out tough games and get a win. Now, this Jets game, what's conflicting is it wasn't that <laughs> to me. The Jets necessarily like pretty much gave Denver the game. I mean, at what point do you have three interceptions, a pick six, and still win the game? And Denver put up thirty-seven points. Like that's crazy that they still did that and played as poorly as they did because the Jets were so poorly coached and had such terrible penalties. You think of all the personal foul penalties that they had. So I'm conflicted because it, it was a mix of like, it felt like both teams were trying to just give the game away. Now credit for Denver for not packing it in because I potentially could have seen them packing it in after the big Sam Darnold run, after the pick six from Rippon. There's a lot of opportunities where it looked like, okay, this is just, you know, this is a, I won't say it on air, but this is a, an absolute garbage show right now. <laughs> um, and yeah. So, you know, kudos to them for coming out with the win, but it, it, it wasn't – we didn't learn a ton about the team with a win like this. I, w- I would say a win over the Jets is a confirmation to me, or it's a small confirmation to me, that Vic Fangio still definitely has a grasp of the roster because, like you said, when bad things happen, bad things are going to happen, especially when you're down to your third-string quarterback, your third-string right tackle, your – you know, that kind of stuff. Bad things are going to happen because a lot of these guys aren't playing very much. Uh, Chick the defensive end that Denver signed two weeks ago from the practice squad of new Orleans, he played 40% of the snaps. So when guys like that are playing and I'm not trying to hate on him, but like when guys are like that are playing, there are going to be crap that happens. And the fact is the Broncos continue to fight through it. They did not have all those personal fouls. Um, honestly, watching the Jets and watching the Broncos should remind you how bad things could get. And that is a reason why I am not a hurry up and fire everybody guy, because that is how you end up being the Jets. 
Yeah, that's a good point is that Denver kept their poise. Now, I still have issues with their special teams. Uh, I think Same. their special teams are terrible. If there's one person you need to fire, it needs to be the special teams coordinator. I yes. tweeted this during the game. I said, look, I'm just a nerd on Twitter that talks about this for fun, and I know that you don't need to run the kickoff back out of the end zone every freaking time and get stopped before the 20. Why in the world is he either – is Spencer coached to do that or – is he just doing it on his own, but it needs to stop. And here's what's frustrating to me. That issue has been an issue since he came on as the coach. And yeah. so that to me, it's been across returners. It's been, it's, it's not just Spencer. It's a, it's an issue from the coaching and that's what it looks like. And may, maybe I'm not in the room. Maybe it's something else, but that's what it looks like to me. And the thing is, there's something like that every week. And that's, what's getting me is there's always an issue like that where I'm like, why the heck is this still happening? Yeah. And that's my big issue. Yeah. I'll say one more thing before we jump into the kind of the, the specifics. Good. Yeah. Cause I know we'll yeah. talk about Brett Rippon and stuff, but I mean the, the other, the last reason I'm conflicted on a game like this is I I'm with you and what you said last week. And some people might get upset about this, but I could, I could really take it or leave it if we win or not, if Denver wins at this point from, from here on out, obviously as a fan, you want them to win every game. But I would prefer that they maybe lose a close, like this coming week against the Patriots. If they put up a really, really tough fight and give the Patriots all that they can handle and come away with the loss, I'm okay with that. I'm maybe even okay with that more so than the performance we saw against the Jets, where they hung up three interceptions, you know, throw a pick six, but the Jets just give away the game and they pull out a win, right? And so it's this is different than the 20 in. Obviously, it's different for a lot of reasons than the 2015 season. But the 2015 season and Kubiak's quote with John Elway of you win them all kinds of ways, right? Look, I don't care if they're ugly, if they're whatever, as long as you win. That works if you're heading into the playoffs, if you're trying to put together a season where every win counts. Here, the win-loss column really doesn't matter at this point for Denver. And so if you're squeaking into wins or backing into a win because – the other team just gave the game away and you didn't really learn much about your team. And I don't think that's necessarily all, all the case about Thursday night, but I do think that that's one of the reasons that I'm conflicted is that they didn't, they didn't necessarily win on their merit. They kind of got handed the game a little bit. And, and here's the thing back in 2015, the Broncos were in a, this is, they, they were the saints. Basically you have no tomorrow. This is the one season you have left before Peyton's done. So yes, you will win. You'll happily win every single game, no matter how it is. The thing with this year's roster at this point is the Jets game may be the only time the rest of the year where the Broncos have more talent than their opponent on their roster, on the healthy roster. The reality is maybe Miami, maybe Miami, maybe. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're bad, but I'm saying like in terms of injuries and again, it sounds like an excuse. And I feel like I say this every day, but the, the reality is the Broncos at this point are not the roster we were looking at before. And at this point, if you're going to win games where the other team lost the game, it honestly might take you farther away from competing in 2021 with the chiefs because it'll hurt your draft position and it will cloud your judgment on some players. And that's again, I'm not rooting for losses, but if they're going to win, I want them to win the game. And there is a number of things out of Thursday night's game where it felt like the jets were just basically rolling over. And that is kind of a good kickoff to Brett Rippon, I think. I thought Brett Rippon played pretty dang well for a first start for an undrafted backup, except for four throws. Yeah, and I don't disagree. I think Brett Rippon brought what you expected him to bring, and I thought he played pretty well. And the mistakes that he made and the interception, the four throws that we're going to talk about yeah. are probably the ones that, we expected out of a guy like Brett Rippon. And so I think that he did enough to continue the start. I'm not, you you wouldn't want to put a guy like Blake Bortles in yet. And you certainly don't want to go back to Driscoll because I do think that Brett Rippon helped from a decision-making standpoint, like a a decisiveness in his throwing. He didn't hang onto the ball too long, at least majority of the time. I don't think Denver took a sack. If I remember the stats correctly, I don't think they took a sack against the jets. Did they? Um, I have to go look. I, I, it was never, it was never such an issue that I remember it. So I, again, if it, if it happened, I don't, I'm not worried about it type of thing. And that, that kind of goes where my thing with Rippin is. 
I honestly yeah, believe no, Jeff no Driscoll. Sacks. Sorry, didn't want to cut you off. I wanted to close it off. Yeah, no sacks. Good. Good to know. Um, but I, I thought Jeff Driscoll was so poor in the games that he played that I don't think he'll ever get a start by choice in the NFL again. Like he'll end up being a QB three after this year. And it'll be one of those things like if he ends up starting a game again, either he drastically improved or there was just a complete garbage heap in front of him. Like it just fell apart. Um, I can't say that about Rippon, And that's honestly one of the reasons why I'm excited for him. Cause that was his first start. And again, those four throws were, we'll talk about them. But outside of those four throws, you could see how the offense is supposed to function. You didn't get that with Driscoll on a consistent basis. And because of that, I felt like I had a really good feel for how Jerry Judy looked the whole game. I felt like I had a good feel for what Tim Patrick was doing the whole game. I had a good idea of how the offensive line was playing. And so you didn't really get that with Driscoll just because he was so bad. And so in that way, I think Brett Rippins, he did enough to keep getting a shot. That said, there were the four throws. Let's go over that really quick before we get on to everything else because I know people want to hear what we thought about those. My first one was the Jerry Judy touchdown. I thought Jerry Judy bailed him out. I thought that should have been a pick. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, it was a great play by Jerry Judy and showcases his ability. And that's one of the things that Judy hadn't done a lot of, at least from what I looked at him at um, in Alabama. He didn't have a ton of contested catches. I mean, that was one of the bigger question marks coming out of him is how would he deal with the press and then he didn't have a lot of contested catch situations mainly because he was so open in Alabama's scheme but then also because of his route running ability so that was kind of a maybe maybe it's not even as harsh as a question mark but it was just kind of an unknown a little bit about Jerry Judy and so to see him winning on the outside and not just in the slot but down the field outside um, I thought was really strong but Brett Rippon drastically underthrew that and I will say, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Judy today, but through four games, because I'm going back over game one now, Jerry Judy is honestly everything I kind of hoped he would be, and he's actually giving us a little bit more. We just haven't gotten to see a lot of it because the quarterback play has been so shaky. Um, I'm really hoping down those last 12 games that we get a real good, like we get a good look at what Jerry Judy can do because I think he's going to be making people really, really happy for years to come. And that's one of the things that I do hope you get Drew Lock in sooner rather than later, and it's less about can we come back in and win more games or whatever, but can he start to build a rapport with Jerry Judy like he did with Cortland Sutton. And we saw last year because that'll be huge going into 2021 because he's already there with Sutton. And so you spend a lot of 2020 if Noah Fant is able to stay healthy and, you know, hopefully comes back from this ankle injury quickly, those three guys getting on the same page and particularly Judy and, and Locke getting their timing down, I think can be really big. Agreed. The other three, the other three plays are obviously the interceptions. What did you think of the three interceptions, Jeff? I, I don't really know how to set this up other than what did you think about them? Yeah. So the third one I thought was, is the one that people are going to zero in on the most. And I don't actually put that a ton on Driscoll. Um, it's a young quarterback mistake and it's a, I think it's a function of one Driscoll's arm talent or excuse, excuse me, not Driscoll, Rippon, Rippon's arm talent. Yeah, we've, I mean, we've gone through so many quarterbacks at this point. It's, I'm still on last week's quarterback, excuse me. <laughs> so um, which, are you, are you three or four? Yeah. Or yeah. are you the new guy? So I think it was a, it was more a function of one, Rippon's arm talent, because that's a, a big throw out there to the outside. But, and, it, you know, we just got done praising Jerry Judy a lot, but I thought some of it was on Judy after watching it again. Judy, I don't know if he didn't expect the ball because he read the coverage better than Rippon did because Judy essentially stops on his route slash rounds it off really, really bad. So it's a, it's essentially a, um, it's just an out route coming underneath a vertical and uh, there's a concept for it. I forget what the exact concept's called at this point, but um, the corner hangs, drops off of it and it's a, essentially a trap coverage. And we'll talk about the Patriots here in a minute, but I think that's something that Denver's going to really have to watch for because Great. Bill Belichick is going to add those in. He's going to see that on tape and he's going to add those in. But essentially the cornerback, I don't think he was in, like it looks like he was in cover two, you know, so he's playing the flat and dropped off on it, but I don't think he was actually in cover two. He was in, he was just mm -hmm. poaching it. So it was just a trap um, because that's a look that, Denver had put on tape a lot. That's a throw that Brett Rippon likes to make. Um, 
And I'm pretty sure it was a third down. So it was third and short and Judy's cutting his route off at the sticks. And so the corners just squat on it. So if that corner doesn't drop off of the vertical route, I think it was Patrick that was outside. If he doesn't drop off of that, that's a good throw and a good decision from from Brett Rippon. So that one's probably going to get the most scrutiny because it looked the worst. And that was the pick six. But it to me, it wasn't that bad. Um it was just something you see from a young quarterback. He got fooled by the coverage, and it was a good it was good coverage. But I thought Judy like he rounded out his route terribly. So even if that even if the corner hadn't dropped off of that, it would have been a um, it would have been a poor route. But again, Judy may have seen the corner dropping onto that and just stopped his route because he didn't think he was getting the ball. So that's totally mm-hmm. possible too. The thing, so I've gone back and uh, the pick to Judy that turned into a pick six, the thing that really gets me with this, and again, I'm not excusing it by any means, but Rippon was under pressure. Uh, Dalton Reisner got beat off, got beat, and ended up allowing pressure up the middle, and DeMar Dotson was actually beat off the edge. And so if you go back, and I and again, I do this with a lot of plays. I end up slowing it down to a frame-by-frame thing. Brett Rippon basically doesn't step in and completely finish his throw. You can see his footwork. Like, he's stepping into it, but his arm motion doesn't completely go all the way through to finish the windout. Um, and so because of it, I do think he lost some velocity. Because, again, I don't think Brett Rippon has the kind of arm talent to make throws when he's not perfect um, outside of, like, really easy stuff. And that's not an indictment, and that's just the truth. Like, at this point, like, that's just something that's the Broncos have to kind of know about him. Um, and I think Brett Rippon being in his first start also has to kind of learn that about himself because he had a backside on that pick six that would have been open. Um, and again, that's a young quarterback mistake. Drew Locke has made that same kind of there. Um, the thing that's kind of, it's, it's not troubling, but it's something I really want to see from Rippon going forward is on his third interception. It's the same thing. And on the third interception, if Brett Rippon does go to the backside, it's a touchdown. Um, and so that is kind of frustrating, but again, is that the one with Tim Patrick wide open yeah. on the on the yeah. outside? Yeah. Um. And so going over it on the third on the third interception, the Jets are dropping into a cover three shell at the very end of like right before the snap. Um, the Broncos are running a mirrored concept where both receivers on the boundary are kind of like they're running at the numbers and then cutting back inside. And what ends up happening is the front side of the play, the safety drifts over, so thirty ends up going off to the right. But on the back side of the play, you have Tim Patrick just completely beats his guy. He forces the hip turn, and he's open with green grass in front of him. Uh, I'll end up sharing it. I think it's on our Brett Rippon post that Mile High Report already did. I shared it, but I'm happy to throw it in again. But, yeah, uh, Rippon definitely missed that. That should have been a touchdown. Um, but, again, I'm not willing to kill him over. It's his first start. And we've talked about this last week. Drew Locke has probably logged 99% of the practice snaps when he's been healthy. And when he got hurt, Jeff Driscoll probably took all the practice snaps because they had to try and get him ready. So Jeff Driscoll came into last week's game with a four-day window. And the Red thing Ripping. is, when right. you're leaving – I've got you Brett doing it. I've got you doing it oh, now, yeah. too. <laughs> There's too many quarterbacks. Uh, so, so the thing is about Brett Rippon is when Brett Rippon became the starter after the game against the Bucks, he had a lead-up to a Thursday night game. And real, like the reality is in the NFL, when you're going from a Sunday game to a Thursday game, it's almost entirely walkthrough. You're not doing real practices because everyone's trying to recover in time to play a game again. So Brett Rippon probably hasn't gotten basically any live snaps until this week, especially with the number one team. Yeah. And again, like if you look back through it, like the, the clear read was on the front side. Right. And so yes, asking yes, him to come too. all that's the way true. back is you're asking a lot. You are. Yeah. But potentially, I mean, you're coming off of a play action. His first read is not there. And you see him pump fake it. And then he decides to muscle it in a little bit and try to get it over the linebacker and before the safety slash nickel trails Nick Vanette. He tries to drop it in, which is going to be a tough throw anyway. At that point, I would like him to, and again, this may be Monday morning quarterbacking it a little bit too much, but I'd like him to recognize, to your point, that you've got the middle safety taking away your first read on that inside route on like on the front side, which means you have zero help on the backside with Tim Patrick. And so it'd be really nice if he resets his feet and comes back across the field, which again, you know, it, it takes time. You're going to need help from your line in, in that um, regard. But 
would like to see him do that. And to your point, he has a, if nothing else, he has a big gain and probably a touchdown if he does that. But even if he just looks that way, I think that's a, you've, you've got to be able to recognize where your safety moved to and what that gives you on the backside now. And so the two kind of to find you know, the thing I would say to kind of, kind of summarize it is I think Brett Rippon's mistakes are young quarterback mistakes and also not necessarily easy. Like thank you, you, you could see Jared Goff making the same issue. Like I've, I've, you could definitely go and find tape of him doing the same kind of stuff. That said, uh, Brett Rippon did show signs that he's able to work front side to backside quickly enough to do it, which is one of the reasons why I'm critiquing him here because I do think he's capable of doing this. I also think part of the reason he threw those interceptions is he's, he's testing out his arm. Like he doesn't know how, like, again, he's never played in the league, but he was a very successful quarterback in college against much lesser talent. Like you're getting, you're still kind of feeling out how fast an opponent really is and how, what you can get away with. Um, we talked about Pat Mahomes doing that for three years. So, and again, I'm not saying again, not saying Brett Rippon's going to be Pat Mahomes, nothing like that, but I'm not willing to kill him over the interceptions. So yeah, that's, and, that's all I'm going to say. And I do think that we did see, and you and I talked about this last week and we saw it come to fruition a little bit is that Brett Rippon's a good pairing with Pat Shermer. I think I thought yes. Pat Shermer put together some good concepts for him. Um, that throw, I, I marked this one down, that touchdown to Patrick in the red zone, that's a damn good throw by Brett yes. Rippon. And it was a good concept by um, Pat Shermer to put together to really give him an easy read where you're essentially just isolating the safety over the top in the red zone and throwing off of his leverage, essentially. And Rippon fired it in there. And so I do think that the way Pat Shermer designs his quick hit passing game plays very well to Brett Rippon's strengths. I think they're going to have to watch some of the stuff that we saw, you know, the the trap coverage that we saw on the interception. I think Bill Belichick is going to try to exploit that on some of those easy first, you know, kind of first read um, that on it. concepts that are, that Pat Shermer is going to try to get Rippon into a rhythm with. And so you've, you've got to be careful with, with things like that and know what the defense is going to try to do to stop you. But I do think it's a good pairing. It's a lot better pairing than, Driscoll and Shermer, I think the Rippon and, and Shermer combo, and give them another week now. To your point on the walkthroughs, give them another week to to install some different concepts or just have Rippon getting some more reps in practice. And I think we'll probably see a pol- a more polished, put together offense than we did on Thursday night. I thought Jeff Driscoll was kind of you. You're taking the broken play guy who has athletic tools and hoping that you can mold him into being the guy who can do what Brett Rippon already does. Brett Rippin can do the thing that they wanted Jeff Driscoll to be able to do, but that he doesn't have the athletic tools. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, so is there anyone else on offense that we should give kind of some love to before we move to the defense? I thought Tim Patrick had a good game. Um, I was looking for more from him over the first couple games of the season. And again, like we've talked about, it's hard to evaluate when you have poor quarterback play, but I thought Patrick had a really nice game. The one that, one that we were kind of looking for, for him to step up a little bit, make some big plays. DeMar Dotson had a good game. I thought he looked good. He was an upgrade in pass protection. I think maybe mm-hmm. he was a wash in run protection or in run blocking, maybe a little worse than Elijah Wilkinson, but I think I'd take the trade off, particularly with all the empty and 11 personnel that Pat Shermer's running. I didn't notice DeMar Dotson in a bad way on the broadcast. And then on the rewatch on the tape, I thought he looked pretty good. Agreed. Uh, one other player I kind of I have to give some love to is Deshaun Hamilton. And again, part of this is because I'm going back over the Titans tape now. Deshaun Hamilton is he's still get he's doing the same thing he did last year. He's getting open on the backside of plays where he's just not being found. Again, part of it is he's on the backside of plays, and that's why he's getting open. So I'm not saying he's suddenly some superstar, but that said, he's doing what he's been asked to do, and he's doing it well. And I also think he's the best run blocking wide receiver on the team, which is interesting to me because he actually played more snaps than Tim Patrick did on Thursday. And part of that was they were using him and Tim Patrick in nasty splits to try and help out both the run game and the pass protection. Deshaun Hamilton's better at it than Patrick, even though Patrick's bigger. Uh, one player I got to s- kind of solo out on the other end of it. Uh, honestly, two of them, Nick Vanette and Jake, Butt. uh, neither one of them have re- like, they both like Jake, Butt is a great story. I'm happy he's playing. I hope he can continue to improve, but right now he's been, he's okay. And Nick Vanette is an okay run blocker, but outside of that, he's been just abysmal. Um, if Noah Fant can't play against the Patriots, we're going to notice. Yeah, and I think you're going to have to 
start shifting targets away from the tight end position if Noah Fant can't go because I just haven't I haven't been impressed at all with Nick Vanette and getting involved in the passing game and Jake Butt's been pretty he didn't have a catch he had one target so he's targeted once um, and then Vanette was targeted once and caught or cut targeted twice caught one pass so um, I think you're probably just gonna have to shift some of those targets away if Noah Fant can't go and Denver I mean you talked about this before we jumped on Denver's already leading like pretty top in the league in 11 personnel so I think they probably stay with that keep that going um, as opposed to trying to get by with both of those guys on the field agreed uh so the broncos i tweeted this out right before we started recording the broncos as of right now through four games are third in the league in terms of 11 personnel usage that's even with Cortland sutton being injured that's with kj hamler coming in and out that's with jerry judy playing through injury so they pat Shermer loves three person three wide receiver sets he's going to be using it so they might as well lean on that i agree um let's let's move over to the defense i i kind of want to I, I kind of feel like the defense is the new guys. Like I know that that's that one movie or the other guy. I don't remember. I didn't watch it. Um, but honestly, <laughs> like the defense at this point is essentially the other guys. Like the big names are kind of out, but they're still Thursday night. They played like the Broncos dominated the line of scrimmage on Thursday. Uh, so I would say, give me through four weeks. Who are the four best players in your opinion? Yeah, and this is tough because it's it's all been like flash. There's flashes of bad. Like I think the entire defense would want to erase that Sam Darnold play out of their head and at, like what like scrub it from the tape, right? And so you really just kind of have to call out the entire defense on something like that. But other than that, I did think they looked pretty good uh, against the Jets. And again, you know, with the caveat that it is against the Jets um, because. You got to think, think to the other touchdown that Denver gave up. I mean, they had they had three turnovers, and one of them was a pick six. And so, mm-hmm. the defense actually, I thought, did pretty well. Um, and I thought b- before we jump into the the top people, I thought Devonte Bosby coming in was really strong too. Yeah. I was watching back through some of his snaps, and again, I mean, we called it when they cut him and sent him to the practice squad. I don't know why they did that to begin with. I thought she he should have been starting or at least getting some snaps early on in the season. And so it's kind of a head scratcher. I don't know what the Broncos saw in camp from him, but he immediately came out and started looking really strong, picked up right where he left off. It looked like from last year. And so it kind of begs the question, like, where has he been? Because we're all seeing the exact same thing that we saw that got us excited about him. And so either way, I'm glad he's out on the field now. And judging from Vic Fangio's comments, he liked what he saw from Bosby. And so it looks like he'll be in against the Patriots. Bosby coming into the game moved Bryce Callahan into the slot. And if the Broncos are going to, if it's either Devonte Bosby or if it's AJ Boye coming back healthy, if, if they're moving Bryce Callahan into the slot going forward, I think the Broncos secondary as a whole is going to kind of take a jump because Bryce Callahan is an elite slot cornerback. Yeah, agree. And I think Bryce Callahan is one of those guys that I don't know if I would put him I think he would probably fall right outside of my top four if we were giving top four defenders over the last couple of games, just because he's been a little bit shaky occasionally on the outside, like nothing, nothing big. But um, you could, it's clear that he's more comfortable in the slot, mm. and I do think that was the plan all along, right? Is for him to be able to kick inside in the slot and play almost that Chris Harris role, right, where he's outside and base downs or your three four, um, you know, three down line lineman um, downs and have him kick into the slot in sub. And so that got thrown off a little bit when AJ Boye went out because that leaves you with essentially two really young guys, you know, and they wanted to play a saying Bassey a little bit more in the slot. And so I do think now if you're looking at the combos of OJ Mudia and Bosby on the outside, Callahan can slip into the slot, which probably works better because like, I would prefer to have a guy like Bosby out there than a Sang Bassey. And not a, not anything against the Sang Bassey. I thought he played pretty well in the in the time that he had, but you know, he was he was struggling a little bit too. And so I'd rather have a guy like Callahan in the slot and have Bosby and OJ Moody on the outside. Agreed. And the thing is a lot of the top offenses in the league want to go after the slot receiver. So having a really, really standout slot could end up helping everybody else anyway. And honestly, I think having uh Callahan inside could give Fangio some flexibility with how to try and protect Josie Jewel in coverage. 
Yeah, I think so. We, I mean, we talked about it when we were talking about these linebackers is both of these guys are going to struggle a little bit on the inside. And then, so if you add in another, so think about it this way. And we've talked about this with Fangio's defense, the slot cornerback is really not a cornerback. I mean, he's essentially your overhang player. Who's he, I mean, he comes up in run support, depending on the call and depending on the coverage, he's typically fitting into the, your middle coverage essentially as a like as a terrible way of explaining it but you've got your linebackers it like it could be he's going to play some of the coverages that you would expect some of your outside linebackers to play occasionally if you're running the same call or he's the guy that's making everybody else right on the like underneath stuff and passing things off to the safeties or passing things off to the corner so when you have him on the inside and we saw this with the bears i called this out when we watched a lot of Fangio's tape with the Bears in 2018. That's what Bryce Callahan excelled at was really being a key cog within that well-oiled machine that was Fangio's defense in 2018. And that's the thing about Fangio's defense is it has to work together. Everybody has to be on the same page and working well together. And when you have a Sang Bassey, a new guy, Josie Jewell, a new guy, and then Alexander Johnson, who's I mean fairly new guy, all on the kind of second level of your second level coverage guys, that's going to be really hard if all three of those guys are new and also not your strongest coverage guys. So if you're able to take a guy like Callahan and move him more inside, I think that can help a lot. And I honestly think having Callahan inside is going to help Alexander Johnson as well, because and I think you and I were talking about this before, because I think you, you believe Alexander Johnson is one of the four best. Yeah, and I would say I would I would put Alexander Johnson as my fifth. My big complaint about Alexander Johnson is the one area I really wanted to see him step up in this year is his coverage, and he's been okay. Like he's been definitely better than Jewel, but I do think that taking over for Todd Davis and having to make all the like kind of he's like the fulcrum in the middle of the defense right now, and having Josie Jewel and Essing Bassey next to him is not helping him. And I think having somebody like Callahan there, not only is it going to help the run defense because Callahan's a really good and willing run defender, but also like he, he won't have to do so much and try and make up for so much because even watching the last play Essing Bassey played before he was pulled, it was a miscommunication. And like, there's other plays on tape where Essing Bassey's just not doing what he's ready to do yet because he doesn't know his job. And that's a rookie mistake. Like that happens, but it makes everybody else's jobs harder. Yeah. And, and that's what you've got to be able to do too. Like we've talked a lot about those deep overs, those crossing routes that Denver has struggled with. That's a lot of passing guys off in coverage. And so mm-hmm. that's a lot of communication that needs to happen to the linebackers and the linebackers back to the corners um, and the rest of the secondary. And so if you've got more of a veteran guy in there that can, can really help them even from a communication standpoint, I think it can it could go a long way in improving the secondary and Bosby looks better on the outside, I think than Bassey does in the slot. And so if you've got Bosby and OJ Moody on the outside, I like that as a, as a stopgap outside corners until AJ Boyer comes in. I'll say this as well is, and it'll be interesting to see how they play it against the Patriots, but I don't know if you, I didn't chart this, but I don't know if you noticed this Joe against the, Jets on Thursday night, but it seemed like Denver played a lot more man coverage than we've seen from them in yeah. really, the, really the first couple games and a lot of last year with Fangio. And a lot of it is because Fangio's had to generate pressure by bringing extra guys, and he's essentially just leaving the leaving the other guys out on an island. And so that's another reason yes. you really want Bryce Callahan and you want a guy like Bosby who can get up there and challenge the receivers and really stick close to them in man coverage. If you ever like, if you were one of those people that complained about Vic Fangio doesn't run enough man or Vic Fangio doesn't blitz enough, this year is going to be a lot of fun for you because uh, you were talking about before. How many times did Alexander Johnson blitz against the Jets? Yeah, so Alexander Johnson's blitzed forty-four times on the year, and that's in four games, and twenty-two of those, so half of that came on Thursday night against the Jets, and then Josie Jewell. He's been blitzed. Let let me get the numbers correct. He's been blitzed 22 times on the year. 14 of those were against the Jets. Yeah, that's insane. They are running more man, too. They they started to mix in more of it against the Bucs, but definitely against the Jets. They are running a ton of man. And some of that's, too, just adapting to your opponent, right? Like Sam Darnold gets flustered by the blitz, and he's a young quarterback who 
you know, you can rattle a little bit. And so bringing in those blitz elements and playing man behind it is probably a good way to attack him as opposed to letting him kind of pick his spots. But the other thing too is because Denver's had to generate pressure with that, they're bringing those guys constantly. I mean, you've got Thursday night, you had between some of these, like they don't, we don't have the charting broken out where like when both of them came, but you had Josie Jewell coming 14 times and you had Alexander Johnson coming on a blitz 22 times. So that's 36 snaps that you've got an extra linebacker coming in on a blitz and potentially, you know, some of those you may have had, I didn't see a lot of them where they were in base and they had the outside linebackers drop off, but there was one or two of those. So let's call it, let's round it, you know, and let's call it 30, 30 times you had linebackers coming in off the second level and blitzing to add to the pass rush. And it showed, I mean, they had Josie Jewell had three pressures, Alexander Johnson had two and they had three sacks combined between the two. And mm-hmm. so it worked against Sam Darnold. I'm not saying that strategy works all the time, but good on Vic Fangio for adjusting his defensive scheme. But you've got to have the secondary to hold up against that. And I thought the secondary did well in that adjustment on Thursday night. Well, and that's why I think Callahan will help. Who are your other three? I think Alexander Johnson's in there. And this is in no particular order. Alexander Johnson, um, Bradley Chubb. I would have said Jarrell Casey, but... um, he's been hurt. And I think Shelby Harris actually has outplayed him like because, because Casey was playing hurt. And so Casey, or excuse me, Harris has played really well. Um, And then I'd probably say either Justin Simmons or Kareem Jackson, like Jackson has been a little bit under the radar some, and Justin Simmons has gotten, he's gotten more of the flack because he's been more of, he's been the guy in coverage when some of those scores happen or whatever. But I think Justin Simmons or Kareem Jackson would probably be one of the other two. If we expanded the list out to six, I think we just named all my six because Bradley Chubb, Shelby Harris, Alexander Johnson, Bryce Callahan, and then both the safeties, I think are the six best players on the defense at this point. Uh, I think that Justin Simmons is probably one of the two or three best players on the, honestly, on the whole team. Um, I understand, like definitely under, like I've gotten a lot of hate on, you'd be surprised, man. I've gotten so much hate on Twitter by saying that in a tweet yesterday. Here's the thing with Justin Simmons, and I'm going to write about this. It'll be probably be coming out pretty quick. Justin Simmons is being asked to do more as the Broncos have kind of turned into this blitz-heavy unit. Like, he's not just playing back in coverage every play. He is doing it quite a bit, and when he's doing it, he's still looking just like he did before. Um, I, Like, if you go back and watch the All-22 and you watch him play what he was doing last year, those snaps, he looks pretty damn good. That said, against Mike Evans, he's out on a fade route out on the boundary as a cornerback. He ended up getting suckered by that tunnel screen by, against Tom Brady. Um, and we all saw the tackle against Sam Darnold. So, like, I get it. Like, he's definitely made mistakes, more mistakes than he has at this time last year. But he's also being sent on blitzes. He's also in the box more often than he was before. You're asking him to go out and cover players out in space. Like, he's a corner. Like, he's being asked to do more. And I, and I think that's a big thing. And he's being asked to do more than Kareem Jackson is at this point. So I, I think if we as a as a fan base can kind of move beyond he's not playing as good as he did, we can accept that he's still playing really well. And I think that's where I'm at with Justin Simmons. Yeah, and the only thing that I would maybe disagree with is and I don't think it's disagree, but maybe it's just the caveat, is that if you're if you're wanting to be paid as a top five safety in the game, and I get need, that you I need totally to be able that. to do all of that, right? And you yep. need to be able to step up when asked to do different things. Now I will give him that that's probably not what the team planned to do throughout most of the off season. So he's potentially playing a new position. I mean, he kind of is right. He's being asked to do a lot of different things. And it, it reminds me almost of the time. Um, was it 2017 or 2018? 2018. He's asked to do everything. Yeah. Where Joe Woods and, and Vance Joseph essentially said, look, he's our best secondary player. We're going to have him line up in the slot. We're going to have him man cover tight ends. We're going to have him do everything. And so he gave up a lot of plays, but, he did that because he was, he the, was being used. Yeah, he was the only guy that could do those kind of things. And and that's what I was going to say next. So you actually just, it's brilliant. Like, he's essentially playing a better version of what he did for Vance Joseph right now. Is how I would explain it. And again, ideally, his skill set is closer to what we saw him doing last year. Like, I think if the Broncos had enough pass rush to play Vic Fangio's normal defense, he'd be playing the same exact role that we saw him play last year with maybe a little bit of sprinkling just for, like, sprinkling. And he'd probably look probably as good as he did last year. That said, 
if the Broncos end up taking him to contract negotiations and get him slightly cheaper because of this, I'm not going to complain. I do hope that they're not stupid enough to let him go into free agency next year because of this. So yeah. that's, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, and I mean, I called this out when we watched the tape from the Titans game because those those kind of deep over routes and those crossers yeah. really started to pop up again. And some of it's just a like how Broncos are choosing to attack those and how they have adjusted their coverage to mitigate those. And some of it for that game was bringing Justin Simmons down and essentially using him to man cover some of those guys and leaving him on an island. And, you know, he's your he's your best secondary player. You should be able to ask him to do that. And he got beat a couple times. And that doesn't mean that he's not a good player. And to your point, Joe, I think he is probably still one of the best defenders on this team. But I think the ceiling probably just got lowered on the entire defense and yes. when Von Miller went out. And Justin Simmons is a part of that. And yes. so I, I don't think he's a top five safety in the league currently in terms of like if you stacked up the four, you know, four games performance of the safeties. But I do think he is still a top five or a top, you know, 10 or whatever talent in this league, if that makes sense. I feel like Justin Simmons, and I'd have to study all the other top safeties, but I feel like Justin Simmons is still, in terms of talent and in terms of what you can do with him, is still one of the five best safeties in football. I think his production this year is not at a top five safety level. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that he can't be that guy again, is what I would say. And that's why I'm so... I still, again, I still think he's one of the best players on the defense, and I don't think it's really disputable if you can look beyond the mistakes. But that said, the mistakes are there. Like, I, again, I'm, I'm well aware of it. I'm not like blindly defending him. Yeah. Um, and to, I mean, it's, this isn't apples to apples, but I've been thinking about Odell Beckham a lot for whatever reason because yeah. I was watching him against the <laughs> Cowboys and he finally had a, a strong that was a heck game. Of a game. Yeah. I mean, he's being wasted on the Browns, I think, currently with the way that they're utilizing him. Like, essentially, they're getting production out of him by, gadget plays and he had one he had one touchdown on a normal pass play but kevin stefanski is essentially operating a more limited offense than he did with kirk cousins right now (laughs) it's amazing what stefanski is doing i'm not gonna lie like it's it's amazing yeah and i didn't mean to i don't mean to go off on a browns tangent but like i would call odell beckham like if you were if you're picking you know if you just had a open draft or whatever like i would pick odell beckham as one of the top five or two years in the nfl but his production over the last couple of years has not been equal to that at all. One, because yeah. of the way that he's used in the scheme. And then two, maybe a little bit, of it's, you know, I mean, they're a losing team, maybe some of its effort or maybe some of it's a, um, you know, just kind of tossing the season up. They've just been kind of mm-hmm. a mess, particularly it's last like Randy year. Moss on the Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. And so Don't I don't decide how good the player is. Cause he's on a, a stupid situation. And I think that's probably just the, the grain of salt that we have to take through Denver's entire defense, which makes it hard because, and I think that's what's so frustrating about this season and will continue to be frustrating is we're going to have to caveat the crap out of this season all year. And we're going to have to continue to remind ourselves like, all right, what's, what's real, what's fool's goal, what's real, what's not because we've lost our, like Denver has lost their two best pass rushers. One of them and their only other pass rusher is hurt still and coming off injury i think bradley chubb's looking better and i thought you did a good job calling out in your article this week on my high report you know his improved hand usage and the fact that he's looking better particularly against the jets i think a couple of the sacks were covered sacks so if you're looking at just sacks it's not you know it's not like he was terrorizing off the edge last on thursday but i thought he looked better um that was probably his best game of the season against the jets but like that affects everything when you've got, I mean, you don't have Draymond Jones in there either. And so you're, you've lost three starters on the defensive line. And I hate to keep bringing that up, but we're going to have to keep bringing that up for any type of eval that we do, particularly the ba- on the back end, like evaluating the secondary. Three of the players I was counting on most to generate pressure this year aren't playing right now. Like that's just, that's not an excuse. That's just a fact. Like Vaughn Miller, Jarrell Casey, and Draymond Jones are all not playing right now. And because of that, everybody else is going to feel it. And then you add in AJ boy is not playing. So your number one corner and three of your top five pass rushers aren't playing like, yeah, you're going to notice that. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you compare it to last year, I mean, they went through a similar thing last year where Kareem Jackson was playing out of position. They were trying to figure out who needed to be in there at the nose tackle slot. There was a lot of like moving pieces. And so, 
I think moving forward now, you probably have your defensive set up a little bit more dialed in guys are you like you've adjusted to what you're seeing out of the guys like, like you didn't have any preseason you didn't have any off like barely any offseason work and so Vic Fangio is now recognizing he and Donatel that they're going to have to generate a lot of pass rush and manufacture it and so you kind of have to change your defense to do that and so mm-hmm. we'll see what happens maybe this becomes the um you know, after four games last year, you had Mike Purcell coming in, you had Alexander Johnson coming in, and you had Parks moving out of that safety role, and Kareem Jackson kind of shifted to safety full time. I don't think they'll make those big of wholesale changes, but you do have Devonte Bosby coming in on the outside, and now Vic Fangio kind of has a little bit more dialed in of what he has to do from a defensive standpoint to generate pressure, and so maybe you get into a little bit more of a rhythm than you have um, over the last couple games potentially okay i think we need to talk about mike purcell because he just got re-signed yeah I, and i think you were maybe we may be we may disagree on this a little bit so we can we can talk it but i think you were a little bit like underwhelmed i guess on the signing and i i was kind of excited i thought it was a good move i wasn't is that fair not, to say no yes and no i'm not excited about the move i think it's fine it's it's kind of like that. Like I'm happy for Mike Purcell. I think I'm happy for Mike Purcell. I like I think he's done everything right. Um, the reality is, and again, this isn't an indictment of him, but the reality is he's a nose tackle, and the best thing he does is stop the run. And paying him what they paid him, that's market rate. Like that's what you pay a nose tackle in today's NFL, who's primarily a run stopper and doesn't actually give you a lot of pass rush. Like you can look around at the Malcolm Browns, at uh I think Don Terry Poe, it's about Don Terry Poe. Yep. So it like, again, I I'm fine with it. I do think it basically means that Shelby Harris is not going to be resigned, but I kind of didn't think he would anyway, because I think they're not going to give him the money that he's now going to demand on free agency. If he continues to play like he has been. So I, I I'm fine with it. I'm just not excited by it. And I do think like I, I took issue with uh, Mike Kliss made this whole thing about since Mike Purcell came into lineup, the Broncos have this great run defense. Here's the thing. Mike Purcell doesn't play every down. Alexander Johnson does. The player who has the most say in what the Broncos run defense looks like is Alexander Johnson. And I don't think that's disputable. I've looked at both their tapes. Alexander Johnson makes plays against a run that you don't see in the stat sheet, but he's the reason it happens. Mike Purcell is good. He's a good run stopper. And against teams that run outside zone, he's hell because he's so quick for a nose tackle that when you're trying to run outside zone, what ends up happening is uh, Fangio will line him up to end up impeding the path of the backside guard so the backside guard can't get up to the ta- the linebacker. And then all of a sudden, Mike Purcell can beat that guy to the ball. It happened against the Titans again. Like, it happened last year and it happened this year against the Titans. You'll see it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I do think my one argument to that would be that it is it is kind of hard to separate the – like, if you're looking at just production or just, like, the defense's um, production against the run, Alexander Johnson and Mike Purcell's impact – because they came in at the same time last year and Denver's defense drastically improved. And to be able to, like, I don't think it's right either way, right? To say, oh, that's all Mike Purcell. He gets all of the credit for that. Or that's all Alexander Johnson. They both, like, it was a good move for the run defense in general for Mike Purcell and Alexander Johnson to be put in. But what I, okay, you're right. I think you're right because I think they both are key parts to it. Where I was going and why I think everybody thinks I hate the Mike Purcell signing is because I've, I've made a point of man- mention Alexander Johnson because I think the Broncos need to extend Alexander Johnson. Yeah. And I get that he's yeah. a restricted free agent. But when you have somebody who is essentially John Elway's mouthpiece giving all the credit to Mike Purcell, there is a part of me that worries that then the Broncos are going to turn around and try and make an excuse for not paying Alexander Johnson what he's worth. And I think you have to pay him. Yeah. Because again, if the Broncos are going to run a 3-4 defense – Yes, they still need to find somebody to upgrade on Josie Jewell. They need a pass defender. That said, I think Alexander Johnson's such a good run stopper, you have to pay him. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. I think that's that would be the one caveat then, I guess, is I, I don't think the Mike Purcell signing has any really effect on the way Denver approaches free agency next year. I hope not. Yeah, and that would be my thing. is like If it does, if it ends up impacting it, um, and we'll never really know exactly for sure unless we hear maybe some rumblings or something like that. But I mean, I tweeted this out as well as Denver got rid of Todd Davis and 
you know, maybe took a step down with Josie Jewell, but they used that money, like exactly the money that you were paying Todd Davis this year is what they extended Mike Purcell for. And like, yep. I know, I know Todd Davis was, his contract was up and Josie or uh, Mike Purcell signed through, I think it's 2022 or something like that. But either way, like that was the money that you were paying, allocating towards Todd Davis, who was essentially a run stopper, right? And so yes. you're taking that money that you had allocated towards Todd Davis in the running game and you're pushing it into Mike Purcell. And so as and I'm long fine with that. And yeah. I feel like you made a great point. And as long as you're not taking that, like using that and saying, okay, well, we're good. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to move on from, because of that, we're going to move on from Alexander Johnson or it's going to affect our negotiations with Justin Simmons. I mean, I do think it affects Shelby Harris, but I don't think, I didn't think Shelby Harris was coming back regardless. Like even Same. if he played the way that he's playing right now, which I think is, he's playing pretty, pretty darn good. Um, I didn't think he was coming back only because they drafted Draymond Jones and McTelvin Aguim, and now they just extended Purcell. Like he was gone anyway. And Casey's got another year or two on his deal, and so mm-hmm. Shelby Harris, I think, was always kind of a stopgap. The only situation where I could see them signing Shelby Harris is if they cut Jarrell Casey after this year, and they don't feel like Draymond Jones or McTelvin Aguim are ready, and then they, they, I could see it. But only then, and again, this is a lot of if-thens, but only then if Shelby Harris's market's not what it looks like it's going to be now. Because yeah. the way he's playing these last two games, he's going to make $10 million plus. Like It looks like he's playing into that range because he looks – this is the Shelby Harris that I thought we were getting last year. Yeah, and I think you could probably – I mean, you could potentially, if you moved on from Jarrell Casey, you could use his money to – extend yeah. Shelby Harris and you you know really you're looking when you're looking at the roster you're looking at it from an allocation standpoint like how much do we have allocated to each position and you you don't really have enough to pay two big time defensive linemen right and so now you've got mm-hmm. Mike Purcell making at least five million dollars which isn't a lot but you add that with Jarrell Casey you really don't have enough room to add one more guy making big money on the defensive line so you probably have to swap those two out but you could potentially depending on Jarrell Casey's injury and how you feel about him coming back you could change him out for Shelby Harris potentially. And so that's one scenario I could see them doing that. But I don't think this will affect any of their negotiations with like potentially extending Alexander Johnson or with Justin Simmons. And so in that regard, like in isolation, I like the move to bring back Mike Purcell and credit to him, right? Like big time. Yeah, definitely. Like, Came out of the AAF. He was playing yeah. for the Salt Lake Stallions. Yeah. I mean, I've loved like he his play. The, he is, he is the, he is like, he should be the poster child for why the NFL needs a developmental league. Cause he's one of the guys who's gone from playing in a developmental league, found his way into the NFL again. And now he got a $5 million contract. Like good on him. Yeah. Heck yeah. And looking at the snap count too, I will say, um, he's playing more this year. I yeah, know that. I yeah. Know he's, it. he's at 60, he's at 60% yeah. and Shelby Harris is at 59, I think. And well, some of that maybe, I think Shelby Harris, did he get hurt or he got banged up at one of the, in he, one of the games, he right? He got banged up. Yeah. Well, and part of part of that too, I mean, again, it is that Shelby Harris getting banged up, but it's also they don't have NFL cat. Like the Broncos are at a point where they're stretching to find NFL caliber defensive tackles. Yeah, and that's and that's not again. That's good on Mike Purcell for being able to step up with that many snaps because he's still playing at the level that we would hope that he can play at. He's a good run stopper. He's not going to give you a lot against the pass. So that said, he is showing signs of being able to get his hands up and try and impact passing lane. So it's not that he's like invisible against the pass. He's just, he's not going to get a lot of pressures. He's not going to get a lot of sacks. Yeah. If, you, if you're kind of hoping for that, you're going to be disappointed. But that said, what he's asked to do, he's quite good at it. Yeah. And ideally when you have more depth, he's probably playing 50% of the snaps. Like you probably don't yes. want Mike Purcell playing 60% because at the cap, like I think in Fangio's defense, the cap for your defensive lineman is probably going to be in the 70, 80 range. Like even yeah. Darrell Casey, when he was playing, the when he was the guy on the defensive line for those first two games, I think he capped out at like eighty percent of the snaps or something like that, and that's the way Akeem Hicks was playing in twenty eighteen with Vic Fangio. So you you probably don't want Mike Purcell playing sixty percent of your snaps. You would prefer one of your your more starter type guys that gives you more oomph in the pass rush. But to your point, you know, with the depth down, good on Mike Purcell for being able to step in on that. And so, I mean, at least Denver has one more piece locked up from a defensive line standpoint because there's a lot of stuff up in the air currently with injuries and, and things like that. And so I do think they're in a good spot for next year though. If Jarrell Casey comes back healthy, depending on what, I mean, I think Shelby Harris moves on. I'd like to see McTelvin a game over these next 
like he, over the season start to come in, particularly with Draymond Jones out to see what you have there. And he he played against the Jets. I I actually cut up a couple of his plays. Rookie snaps, like he had a couple snaps that were like, "Hey, he did a thing." But we're we're we'll see. I'm 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 waiting to reserve. I'm reserving all my judgment until I've seen him for more than a, a few snaps in one game against the worst team in football. Um, closing thoughts. I I kind of I have to pick your brain on the Patriots just for a second. How are you feeling about this game against the Patriots? And again, as we record this, guys, it's gonna happen. Like as we're saying yeah. this, the game is happening on Sunday. We don't know. But if the game happens on Sunday, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm I'm a little nervous from a coaching standpoint. I mean, anytime you're going up against Bill Belichick, um, and we talked about it a little bit earlier already, um, with the I think some of the coverages that he's gonna throw at Brett Rippon, I think he's gonna try to trap some of those familiar concepts, um, particularly like some of those slant flat concepts. Mm-hmm. Um I think that he's going to try to catch Brett Rippon in, in some of those. So you got to be careful a little bit. And um, the Stefan Gilmore news was like that happened today. I think we're recording this on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I think that was this morning. And so that's a tough blow for the Patriots. I mean, you've got Cam Newton that's out now as of recording this. I don't think he's going to play on Sunday. And so you're probably having a duel of the backups, potentially a duel of the third stringers if Jared Stidham maybe comes in, but I think we'll probably see Brian Hoyer, but I mean, the Patriots are a well-coached team no matter who's out there on the field. And so I do think it's going to be difficult. I don't know if Denver is able to pull this off. If, um, you know, I think the defense will probably get the better of Brett Rippon, unfortunately, even without Gilmore. And my, my whole thing, and this is, I think the Patriots have the horses to make Brett Rippon's life hell. And that's, what's, kind of scary about this game just because we the Patriots built their secondary to be able to play man defense against the Chiefs so they in terms of like the sum of the parts and again without Gilmore it does change it a little bit but again the Broncos are without Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant but the the Patriots defense they have the pieces on the back end to play essentially six DBs at all times if they want to and they have the the horses in the secondary to be able to man up and just kind of erase players from the game so it's going to make Rippon's job of finding the right guy that much harder. And then you add in the fact that Bill Belichick is going to be able to scheme up pressure because the Broncos offensive line outside of Garrett Bowles has been pretty bad. Um, DeMar Dotson's looked better, but the interior of the offensive line, I'm probably a week away from going back and watching every game from the off- interior offensive line because it's just, it's been a consistent issue. So I worry about that. Um, defensively, I think the Broncos, especially if Cam, if Cam doesn't play, I think the Broncos defense is going to look really good. Honestly, I, I think this could be a slow scoring game. Yeah, if there if um, there was a game for Denver's defense to really kind of put it together and build off of the momentum that they had for Thursday night, this game's gonna be it. I mean, you're going yeah. against a backup quarterback on a team that really doesn't have a ton of weapons on the outside outside of Julian Edelman. What's gonna be really interesting is that the Broncos haven't played basically any against any twenty one personnel. They've only played it, I think, like seven or eight times this year. I, I'd have to go look, but it's very, very little. The Patriots run it more than everybody but San Francisco. So that it'll be fun because we don't get to see that very much. So we actually will see Purcell playing those quite a bit, I would think. Yeah, and I'm trying to decide like whose hands that plays into better. With Denver's, mm-hmm. I would say you'd prefer Denver to be in those sets, but with Denver's D-line being kind of decimated, mm-hmm. you'd like to like rotate those guys in as little as possible. And so you're going to have to have three on the field. A lot of the time, I think they'll probably be in base a lot of the time, but it does take a little bit um, of the edge off of your secondary potentially. And and I do think that don't be, this is going to be a thing anyway. People are going to overreact if Bradley Chubb is quiet this game, but Isaiah, Isaiah Wynn is much, much, much better than the third string tackle for the Jets. So it's just, just be, be aware of that. Like I would be surprised if Bradley Chubb gets 10 pressures again. That said, I, I'm encouraged by him, but I agree with you. This is going to be the game for Deshaun Williams to have a career game because if he's going to, like this is how the Broncos win. But it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, watching watching the Broncos play against Bill Belichick is always fun just because there's so many little things going on that kind of skirt underneath your attention. Yeah, it'll be a fun kind of chess match to see what happens. And then you've got you know the both the backup quarterbacks, so I think it'll be a matter of 
offensive coaching of who is able to put their backup quarterback in the best position to succeed because they're really going to need to lean on the coaches in that regard. And so we'll see what happens in the Shermer versus kind of McDaniels duel there too. And we're getting Drew Locke soon. So, hey, things are looking up, guys. So go Broncos. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week.